Hello, this is Mark Galliotti with another In Moscow Shadow Cellcast, being recorded on the morning of Saturday the 22nd of August, released today to patrons, and after a week to everyone else, in the hope that by then it's not an obituary, because, of course, I want to talk about Alexei Navalny after his poisoning. Honestly, though, I am cautiously optimistic he'll pull through, especially as he's now been evacuated to Germany. The media is full of hurried explainers about Navalny, and I don't want to retread their path. Instead, what I want to talk about a little is to look at it systemically and to give the three reasons quite why I think Navalny is dangerous for the current order. First of all, his status as a symbol for the existence of politics. Kremlin cheerleaders and toxic trolls both like to assert that actually the Russian people know very little about Navalny and like him even less. There's some truth in this, given the way that the official media either ignores or traduces him. Um, but nonetheless, a Levada poll last year found that while a third of respondents said that they knew little about him, and while actually more were critical of Navalny than were positive, The very fact that two-thirds of Russians or respondents nonetheless knew enough about him to express an opinion is actually quite striking progress for a figure whose very name Putin can't even bring himself to say. Just as never mentioning Voldemort's name hardly kept him at bay in the Harry Potter cycle, so too Navalny can no longer be ignored. His video exposés of official corruption have had massive circulation, especially his 50-minute takedown of Dmitry Medvedev on Varmne Dimon, which has allegedly been watched by a majority of internet-active Russians. And some of his lines, especially that United Russia is the party of crooks and thieves, essentially become viral. Most importantly, I think despite, what, 13 arrests, the persecution of his brother empty nuisance lawsuits, almost losing an eye to antiseptic green dye, and now two poisonings, he has, so far at least, persevered. As I've said in relation to Belarus, authoritarian regimes thrive on the lack of hope, on the sense that there is no alternative and therefore why should anyone even try to resist. By simply continuing to resist... Navalny has demonstrated that it is possible to do so, and in the process helped mobilise a whole new political generation. Now, some of these are irritating lightweights, but some of them are genuinely interesting, and they reflect a fairly broad spectrum of liberal political opinion. And therefore, above all, his own trajectory, his own career, his own continued struggle has helped to keep the concept of politics alive in Russia, compared with the theatrical fake politics of the Duma and such like. Second point, Navalny's strategy. Time and again, he's tried to set up a political party, and time and again, the regime has found ways to prevent him from doing so. I do wonder if, in hindsight, they'll come to regard that as a mistake. After all, parties are easier targets. They often fall prey to factionalism. They put voracious organisational demands on the leader. And they also create a natural drift toward compromise. 
maybe a Navalny party could actually, in due course, have become another Yabloka, um, even a just Russia. In other words, a worthy but, my apologies, ultimately irrelevant opposition party. More than anything else, whose existence perversely legitimises the system. Now, as a result of his inability to actually create a party, he has pivoted to, in effect, championing a whole mosaic of oppositional forces through his smart vote campaign, supporting whoever seems best placed in each race to defeat the governing United Russia bloc. Liberals, communists, whoever. It may have had an impact on local elections in Moscow last year, but we'll have to see if this bet on collective protest voting pays off on a national level. But the point is it's important precisely because it is collective. It represents a meaningful step toward coalition building, and that's absolutely crucial in a country which for so long has been beset by fragmentation, factionalism, and frankly a sense that only local issues can ever really triumph, because that's what the state has encouraged. Even within the fake opposition parties, especially the communists, there are those who are not comfortable simply by being part of a legitimating pantomime, and are looking for real opposition, real politics. And if smart voting really takes off, then we may find candidates actually competing to get Navalny's endorsement. But even if it doesn't, the crucial issue is about coalition building. This is a powerful message that will go beyond Navalny himself. The third point is to look at Navalny's anti-corruption campaign. This is, interestingly enough, both medium and message. Look, it's not as if Russians had any real illusions about their leaders and the corruption endemic to the system. On the one hand, Navalny's video exposés had the same kind of voyeuristic appeal as lifestyle of the rich and famous TV. But on the other, they provide a means of reaching out to ordinary Russians in a way that no campaign leaflet or earnest soapbox speech ever could. And again, we come back to coalition building. I think corruption is one of the Achilles heels of the Putin system because it provides a cohering issue that transcends class, region or ethnic boundaries. From the Dagestani taxi driver who's been pulled in yet again for a document check come extortion stop by the Moscow traffic police, to the restaurateur in Rostov paying off the fire inspector, to the university administrator in Arkhangelsk forced to let in another substandard but super rich student simply because her boss got a backhander. Look, Everyone has their own experiences of corruption. And again, in various polls, between 60 and 70% of Russians hold Putin personally responsible for this. Now, that's crucial. What that means is precisely that this is one of the issues on which actual genuine opposition to the regime could, in theory, be founded. I don't know who poisoned Navalny or why. His list of enemies is long and lengthening. And this could as easily been done by a target of investigations as the Kremlin itself. Though obviously that doesn't exonerate the Kremlin for creating a system in which bigwigs can have people intimidated, beaten or even killed. And the state will still have their backs. Does this mean that Navalny is a future Russian president? I very much doubt it, to be honest. 
Does it mean that the Kremlin will make sure he dies one way or the other? Not necessarily. This is not a regime that kills if it feels it can avoid it. But it does, in my opinion, highlight just quite why Navalny is so dangerous to Putin. Quite why he is the man whose name cannot be uttered. As a symbol of genuine politics. As a catalyst of collective resistance. And as a chronicler for systemic corruption. Long may he continue at all three. Well, that's all. Thank you very much indeed for listening to, to this Cellcast. My apologies, we haven't had a proper length podcast for a bit, but life has conspired against it. I'm hoping, though, to have a full length episode up for the coming weekend. But in the meantime, if you're listening to this a week late and wish you'd had it a week before, you can become a, a patron by going to patreon.com slash in Moscow shadows. And whatever you do, thanks for listening and talk to you soon. Goodbye. Не скоро я к нему вернусь обратно. Ты только будь, пожалуйста, со мною, товарищ правда, товарищ правда.